Verbally Effective with Ina Esco is an interview-style podcast that intersects art, culture, politics, and entertainment with a Memphis focus. Each week, I'm joined by a featured guest with roots in Memphis. Verbally Effective delves into each guest's personal journey to uncover the incredible stories fueling their purpose the highs and lows of their pursuits, and how through their passion, they are moving the culture forward. Be sure to follow Verbally Effective and Ina Esco on Instagram. Also, download the Verbally Effective podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Google Play Music. Don't forget to check out the website and submit to be a guest at verballyeffective.com. Peace and blessings, everybody. It is Brother John, your brother from another mother, a.k.a. John Best. I am the general manager of 88.5 and C19 slash on-air personality for 88.5, 3 p.m. to 7 p.m., Monday through Friday, slash I'm everybody's brother, meaning that anytime you come talking to me, you're just going to talk to me like I'm your brother. And I love what I do. I do it for the children, do it for the community. I want everybody to do better. And I'm hanging with Ina Esco on a Verbally Effective Podcast. Hello, hello, hello. This is John Corns, one of your favorite realtors and overall people in Memphis, Tennessee. I'm hanging out with Ina Esco on the Verbally Effective Podcast. edition of the Verbally Effective Podcast. I am your host, your double E, Ina Esco. Thank you guys so much for joining me yet again. Please subscribe to the pod on all streaming platforms and that Ina Esco YouTube channel as well. I need you guys to check out that merch, get your hoodies, get your tees, get your mask because that flu going around. COVID is still here, honey. So make sure you pick up some merch. Also, um, I definitely need you to tune into that uh, YouTube channel yet again because I am on the StreamYard platform and I'm putting out a lot of Esco's Pop Talk, pop culture news as well, in addition to the Verbally Effective Podcast. Let's get right into it because I got my good, good friend, my good buddy, my alum, my brother from over there at Abyssinian. He is the senior pastor at Abyssinian. He is the founder of Up the Vote 901. He is my brother of Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity. We both attended Lamorno and College together yeah. back in the day. Yeah. I'm talking about Reverend Earl Fisher. What's up, Earl? Sis, it's so good to be back. I don't know if yes. you know, uh, I was in your top three. You was in my top three. Yeah, I was, on, I was on the third episode. And then we did another one. Yeah, but we did another one too on campus. Remember, you right. did the pizza, me and Tammy the Sawyer. On location. Yeah, 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 all of that. So it's always good to be with you. And I'm excited to see the way this podcast and your entire platform has developed and expanded and all of that. So thank you for inviting the brother back. Of course, of course. You know, we talked about you coming to do a part two, and I'm extremely proud of you, Earl, because you are definitely making an impact in Memphis, like overall, and you've always supported everything that I've ever done. Um, You've included me in your endeavors as well, and I appreciate you, brother. I really do. You represent well, sister. Thank you. You know, you about the people. Let's get into it uh, because even though this is part two, we're still going to talk about your journey in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, tell the good people on Verbally Effective where you're originally from. Ah, yeah, native of Benton Harbor, Michigan. Um, Benton Harbor, Michigan is on the southwest corner of Michigan, 90 miles east of Chicago. And so I was born and raised there. And um, I came to Memphis in 1999 on a basketball scholarship to Lemoyne On. Salute to now the venerable elder and ancestor Jerry C. Johnson. Um, And from there, you know what I'm saying, journeyed through, matriculated through Lemoyne, accepted the call to ministry in the latter years, uh, went to seminary, you know, got my Ph.D., been pastoring at uh, a church that's affectionately referred to as the blackest church in Memphis and Shelby County. The church in Undisputed. Like, they don't even contest us for the title. They're like, yeah, y'all got it. Look, don't nobody want to contest you. Yeah, no, they don't want no smoke. We're going to let Earl have it. Yeah, you know, either that either that, or they just don't want to be black. And we don't have no problems being black. But uh, Abyssinian in the heart of Whitehaven, I've been there now 11 years. You know, um, I also have to say we are recording this on the day of my wife's 44th birthday salute Happy to the birthday, lovely Denise, Denise Lloyd Fisher and so much Rock. love to her her and I've been married for 13 years my son Jalen is 22 now you know what I'm saying mother's doing uh pretty good my sister my you know my family the church is doing solid uh really had no complaints grateful for 
all that we've been able to accomplish. And this Up the Vote 901 thing has really been taking off since we launched it in 2018. Because so many of these elections and people hear this every election cycle, but there's some truth to it in one way or another. And I think it's fair to say it's been amplified over the last few years. This election is the most important election of our lifetime. They say that every election. Right. And I mean, but there's some truth to it, though, sis, because at the end of the day, um, we are in a time frame where the essence of democracy, as we understand it, has been on the chopping block. And every election, there are people who are trying to uh, encroach upon civil rights and human rights, especially for black folks. Every election, there are people who are trying to expand what I would call like a white nationalist political platform, especially in like states like Tennessee, Georgia, Florida, Alabama. And so it is it is true in a sense, like every time you sit one of these out and they're able to pick up one more seat in the House or the Senate at the federal level. They're able to pick up or maintain a governorship in the South or in some of these more conservative states, maybe even like Arizona, which ain't the South. But, hey, if you go there, Malcolm said everything south of Canada is deep south. Okay. Or as I say, everything (laughs) south of Canada is Mississippi. Mm -hmm. So every time we sit these things out, like we lose some ground and are always in danger of having some of our rights rope. But this conversation is about affirmative action. Yeah. Being on the chopping block right now, and it might not be here much longer. That's People crazy. thought Roe v. Wade would never go away. Never. And here we are, right? We so, are. you know, um, it is important. And so, Up the Vote 901 has really been active and involved in trying to make sure our people are not just registered, but uh, educated, engaged, and empowered. So, you started Up the Vote, I heard you say, in 2018. Mm-hmm. What was, you know, going on in Memphis and in your world where you yeah. say, hey, I need to to start up the vote 901 because I'm not happy with what's going on now. What yeah. happened? 2018 is the official launch, but 2016 is when the seeds were really planted. Well, matter of fact, I I even learned some, you know, how your Facebook memories pop up. Mm-hmm. So I was having conversations in like 2012 and 2014 about how to organize faith leaders to make sure that our people were actively engaged in, in the civic and political process, but more specifically towards up to vote 901. After the 2016 election, when Trump won, I was like, what the hell? What is going How on? How did this happen? And I was looking at turnout numbers, and I see that turnout was low. Mm-hmm. And so I started looking in Memphis and Shelby County to see which precincts were high turnout precincts, which ones were low. And um, ultimately, the lowest turnout precincts were some black churches, mm. folks who I know and folks who I rock with. So, you know, I started reaching out to them and trying to dig into some of the details on, on those developments. How did this happen? And then after that, I was like, man, we got to do something, man. We got to educate our people better. We got to do something to increase voter turnout in every, in every election. The reason we say 2018 is the official launch, because we started off, you know, just basically having some town hall meetings about voting and voter empowerment and issues and challenges. And then in 2017, we started calling it like the Memphis Shelby County Voter Collaborative. And then. Uh, the uh, chief operations officer now, brother named Suju Walter Crawford, he and I were talking, and he said he pitched this, or I, I remember hearing the phrase, up to vote 901. Mm-hmm. And um, we started calling it that, and we launched it officially at MLK 50 from the main stage in front of the National Civil Rights Museum. But ultimately it was just about like trying to figure out why turnout was so low, why so many of our communities, especially the black ones in Memphis, like North Memphis, South Memphis, Frazier, Hickory Hill, Binghampton, and to some degree pockets of Whitehaven, like why we are so disinvested in, underrepresented, exploited, gentrified. And a lot of times it's because the people who end up elected in office are people who don't share the values of the people or really care much about the experiences of the people who live in those neighborhoods. And, and so I want to represent. change that. Yeah. That, and that's crazy. And and what's also uh, interesting to me is, you know, back in the day, churches, you know, that's where we kind of learned about, mm-hmm. you know, some of the political side of our cities. And it's very interesting to me that you found that that wasn't the case. Like, yeah, it shifted. Sis. I, I remember Dick Gregory saying back in the day, black folks couldn't get the Wall Street Journal, their church bulletin was the Wall Street Journal. Back in the day, you know, black folks who didn't have access to some of these other white affluent areas or informative spaces got what they needed in terms of not just spiritual consciousness, but social consciousness from some, never never most, but some of these very notable black churches. And I think it started to shift, especially like late 70s into the 80s up into the 90s with things called like the prosperity gospel. And some of this stuff is technical from a religious standpoint. And I know at some point in our conversation, we'll get into some more technical conversations about religion. 
But I think what's most valuable here is like the model of pastoral leadership shifted where it was no, it was not as much about a organization or institution or a congregation being mobilized for uh, consciousness raising and activism and organizing and the securing of rights and privileges for black folks. It came, it became more about pastoral personalities, individuals who were able through their charisma, through sometimes their uh, chicanery, uh, <laughs> finding ways to like advance themselves and build themselves up. You know what I'm saying? I see it. So, I you see know, a lot of that. that ain't me. You know me well enough that to know that, that just ain't true to who I am. And so I wanted to make sure that I established, or I can't say established like I made it up, reestablished, reclaimed, revitalized a particular perspective and persona in the pastorate that is very much unapologetically black and community oriented. So I, you know, Abyssinian being the blackest church in Memphis, Shelby County is in part, large part because of the way people have come to see me in the public. But I keep trying to pitch that back to and push that through our congregational network. So, you know, that's some of what has happened over the last several years and why that shifted and why I felt so compelled and still feel compelled to try to change it. Yeah. And, you know, I often uh, tell you, hey, you're going to be our next mayor of Memphis. And <laughs> I'm you're, not. You're, you're like, no, that's not what I do. Because yeah. you said as a as, as a black pastor, you pastor are a leader is, in Pastor is a public office. I had to get mm-hmm. elected to be the pastor of Abyssinian. Mm-hmm. And the way that I see the pastoral platform, my duties, my rights, my responsibilities. I'm very much a community leader. I'm, I'm very much a, you are, you know, person of the people per se. I'm a servant leader. I'm a servant of the people. And so I also don't have no motivation to be waking up every morning, putting on suits and ties and being in meetings with white folks about white money. Right. You know, that, that just ain't something that I would be passionate about, man. I'd be miserable if I was in public office in that yeah. capacity. In that but capacity. I do believe that, our role as community leaders is to hold our elected officials accountable. And yes, so that's do. why the work of Up the Vote 901 in collaboration with my pastoral platform at Abyssinia is something that I am much more authentically called to and drawn to. Yes. And, you know, you've seen a whole landscape of, you know, politicians in Memphis come and go over the years change. <laughs> I know you've had many disappointments, uh, mm-hmm. things that I learned about some of the people that we put our faith and trust in. Mm-hmm. And, and then you find out it was you know a guy's going on up under that and and it's very disheartening um how are you navigating with the people that are um you know running for office um you know how do you engage with them and put your i I don't want to say faith into them but you know i know they probably lean on you for support and help Mm -hmm. how do you you know uh, you know, navigate through that relationship with these people that are running for office and in office. Right. So our focus has been on issues and policies and not individuals and personalities. Yeah. And so I get an, I'll give you an example. When one of the recent elections were coming up, it was actually the Shelby County primary election. There was some conversations about who was going to be the Democratic candidate for mayor. Mm-hmm. So I'm in a meeting with a bunch of pastors and um, we are meeting with the incumbent at the time. And some of the pastors had an issue with the incumbent. The issue was based upon primarily they felt like that pastor, I mean, that that politician was not personally responsive enough to these particular pastors. And, you know, I listened to it go back and forth for a while. So they weren't really discussing policies, weren't really discussing issues like poverty or education or, you know, wages and labor or crime and public safety or housing in the environment. What all they, of the, were talking about? They, they were talking about basically the nigga didn't text them back, you know, or something like that, you know, <laughs> and, 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 and they basically like, you know, the white mayor called me, man, I stand up. I was like, look, I'm gonna just be honest. And I say this as someone who I think has a pretty decent relationship with this particular elected official. And yeah, for, yeah, if I email or call, I get a call back, but I don't care. Cause I don't need him to be my friend. I don't care about how he treats me personally. I care about how he performs in the office. Mm -hmm. So that's how I navigate that space. I got enough friends. You know what I'm saying? I I ain't hurting from nobody. I I, I preach every Sunday. (laughs) So I don't need your invitation to the prayer breakfast. You know, we doing independent (laughs) organizing work and and entrepreneurship development. I don't need y'all white money. You know what I'm saying? I don't need the government funds necessarily to do the stuff that I'm trying to do. So all I care about is how you are enacting policies Mm -hmm. and how you are dealing with issues that impact the masses of the people. Mm -hmm. 
It don't make no difference to me if I got everything I want, but most of the folk in my congregation are still struggling. You know, most of the folk in the community that I live in still lacking to get access to equitable education for their kids or livable wage jobs. You know what I'm saying? So that's how I navigate it. I don't, I don't personalize the stuff too much. Ain't no permanent enemies. Ain't no permanent allies. There are longstanding issues. That's the barometer that I use. So, so when up the vote 901 started organizing the people's convention or resurrecting the people's convention from 1991, when we did it in 2019, we developed this people's agenda. We did over 2000 surveys about where people stood on issues that are important to them. So when you hear me say these categories, you know, the Memphis City budget, labor and wages, crime and public safety, education, housing and the environment, them the major issues that people were expressing. Major issues in Memphis. In Memphis and Shelby County. So I'm like, yo, as a candidate, where you stand on these issues, here's what the people say they want, like decriminalization of marijuana. Where you stand on that? I don't care if you return to my text or not. You know, when you get in the office, how you going to move on that? And the fact is, sis, most pastors are just not politically astute enough mm-hmm. or equipped enough to be thorough in how they engage that way. So they tend to lean on more of the personal relationship stuff. And, and sometimes, most of the time, especially in the last several years, that, that puts us at a disadvantage as a community. Definitely, definitely. So when when you know, some of these candidates come into office and you say your concern is policy. Are, mm-hmm. are they, you know, focused on these, you know, issues in Memphis? What happens when that particular person, you know, had campaigned mm-hmm. on these issues and they don't yeah. fulfill their promise? Do you hold them accountable or are you just done one? you like, nigga, bye. I'm about to say, nigga, you just asking this for the camera, clearly, because you already know the answer, you know what I'm saying? Uh, but but I, I will go into detail about, like, what that's like, you know what I'm saying? Of yeah, course we do. Like? So one of the things we've done is on the years where there are no elections, we host these um, um, Memphis People's, um, not the Memphis People's Convention, the Memphis People's Symposium, right? And so that's where we call all of the elected officials who are in office to come and give account for how they've been performing while they're in office. So we say, hey, when you were campaigning, you said you were going to do this, you know. But based upon these votes, you haven't done it, so you want to explain that and then tell us, you know, what you're going to do to change course or what you have to do since you always have to build a group of supporters that you can count on to go out to the ballot box. Because the only way to ultimately hold an elected official accountable if they're not doing what they said is to vote them out of office. Yeah. So that's 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 our plan of recourse. And we keep trying to build that voting block. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's expanding slowly but surely. But that's the way that we work to uh, keep them keep them accountable. Of course, we stay in conversation with them. And, you know, I'm man, sometimes I've whipped up so many <laughs> votes on some issues, man. I'm like, y'all niggas owe me a check. You okay. know what I'm saying? Like a consultant check or something like that. Seriously? And then I've had some of the. Uh, elected officials be like, man, y'all need to come to Nashville more often. I'm like, nigga, what we send you for then? Right. You know, That's if I'm finna be, if I'm finna be up there every week, you appreciate that Abyssinian this week? No. Well, I'm gonna do mine. You do yours. You know what I'm saying? But um, we have to cultivate a stronger level of competence and black consciousness amongst our elected officials. I see. I think we're moving in that direction again, slowly but surely. But I'm concerned, especially insofar as the mayor's race is. Uh, in 2023 that we might lose a lot of ground. Let's talk about the mayor's race. I, I see on the Democratic side um, a lot of people jumping in. Mm-hmm. I know we got Paul Young. We mm-hmm. got Sheriff. Floyd Bonner. Bonner mm-hmm. came up in there. Van Turner, Michelle <laughs> Van- McKissick. There's rumors about people like Karen <laughs> Camper. I've heard, you know, Joe Brown. Mm-hmm. That's um, quite a few. Justin Ford. Yeah, and it's funny that you said, like, on the Democratic side because the way – that And this is part of like the display of consciousness, knowing some of the particulars, the way that the city elections are set up, they're nonpartisan. OK, so you really don't even though people are right, either in name or in substance on one side but or the other. You can't say that okay. in the race. So when the ballot comes out, you don't see like you see in this current, you know, we in the midterm election cycle now. So you see when you go to the ballot, me and, me and Denise just voted last week. So you see. Uh, this person's name and then a Democrat or this person's name Republican or DRR, right? So you can readily identify which party that they're in. Mm-hmm. That's supposed to help you clearly understand, even if you don't directly know the person or their policies, the hunch is, okay, if they if they are part of this party, it's more likely that they are on this side of the aisle on some of these issues. And that 
you know, you, you should be able to distinguish and decipher that. When it's a nonpartisan election, it's more difficult. And that's what we're in that's right that, now that, for midterm. No, no, midterms are partisan elections. Okay. It's the municipal election or the city election gotcha. that's coming up in 23. In 23. And so that's nonpartisan. Gotcha. Not only is it nonpartisan, and I pushed to try to make them partisan. Some of the people on the city council was pushing to make them partisan. But some of the same folks who you would say are Democrats mm-hmm. ultimately voted against it. Why? You know, there's a lot of theories about it. I don't want to do too much speculation, but, I, you know, some of them would say because they don't like the divisive nature of politics. So it's too partisan. Now I'm like, fool, uh, <laughs> you got to deal with life as it is before, yeah. you you know, you got to play the hand that you dealt before you try to, you know, change the game. Um, not only that, some might say, you know, well, uh, if we do it this way, certain people might not have the same opportunity to get elected as others, to which I'm like, fool. Um, <laughs> politics should be about representation. And if the majority of Memphis is democratic, then we should have a executive in the mayor's office who subscribes to those values by right. and large. Well, not only did they not vote to make it partisan, you don't even have to get the majority of the vote. You don't even have to get 50 plus 1%. What you got to get? You just got to get the most votes. If it's 100 people that vote in a mayor's election mm-hmm. and, you know, 18 people are running and the person with the most votes has 17, mm-hmm. then they just going to be the mayor. Mm-hmm. They didn't have to get 50 right. of the 100, right? And then we, so we're not even doing runoffs. And so when you say these people are Democrats, even if that's true, what that ultimately means is the Democratic pool of candidates are going to dilute the vote. And it's only going to take one identifiably Republican candidate who's going to swoop in, get all of the Republican votes. All of them. Because they're not going to dilute that. it up like that. You're not going to see four and five white right. candidates run. You're just not going to see it. But right now what you see already are several <laughs> black candidates, most of whom are going to identify explicitly as Democratic, mm-hmm. arguing over the same pot of votes and you're going to see one white. This is what happened with Mayor Strickland in 2015. This is how he was elected. He didn't that's get 51% of the vote. He got 41% of the vote. And that sounds substantial. But you had Mayor A.C. Warden, who was the incumbent. He had 27%. You had Harold Collins, who was a city council person who was running. He had 20%. Now, that's 47% right there. You also had Michael Williams, who was the uh, chair of the police union, president of the police union. He had 15%. So add all of that up, you get way more than 41%. Exactly. But Strickland got in, and we've dealt with him Swoop for eight years. In. And just imagine this, sis. Imagine what it's going to be like to be talking about a majority black city if a white mayor gets in in 2023. Y'all, I don't They're going to say, so y'all here. spent the last 12 years, mm-hmm. potentially 18, uh, uh, 16 years, with white executive leadership in a city that's 60. Go find me a place in the country that's majority white that has had a black, black mayor. Le- yeah. But this, you know, several, you ain't going to mind. It doesn't work like that. Um, you know, we often say that we're splitting the vote uh, on on that particular side. Who do you feel like is the front runner out of those people? I don't think there is one. I mean, there's some polling out there, just, you know, tossing one way or the other. And, um, you know, I got a PhD, man. I know how to do research for real. Like, I'm a, I'm a scholar for real. Like, I ain't one you of are. these fly-by-night <laughs> Negroes who got a, you know, uh, doctoral degree from some weekend institution right. or, or, you know, over the Internet. Mm-hmm. So there are some technical things that you should be able to recognize when you start talking about polling and data and things of that nature. And sometimes people, you know, special interest groups just put some money together, you know, build a uh, special interest group or pool of uh, respondents to get the kind of results that they want. And then they pass it off like, ooh, we put this poll out and such right. and such. And now so-and-so is the front runner. Well, I don't think there is a front runner right now. Yeah. you know. And I know that there are people who might push back on that. I'm open to having that conversation. Uh, I think at the end of the day, we should be, again, focused on what the issues are and the issues that are most important to us. And above all, right now, my main motivation going into 2023 right now is try to put together a process to ensure we don't split the black vote. And that's what we always dealing with, yeah. splitting yeah. that vote. I mean, I've talked to several other candidates like, yo, y'all don't realize what's, what's about to happen. And, you know, to some degree, the ones that I've talked to said, yeah. Uh, and they want to know, like, if there's a way to kind of chart a path forward that's equitable for everybody. Mm-hmm. And then there's some candidates who are, you know, being very elusive and don't want to even say anything they about it other about than it. to say, well, it's them other gr- folks that's going to split mm-hmm. the vote, not me. You know what I'm saying? And I think that that's a telltale sign 
of a yeah. particular type of uh, insensitivity and inability to be able to maneuver in the office the way that we would need somebody to maneuver. Quite a bit of ego as well. I think him. all of them, you know, I ain't mad at nobody having no ego, you know what I'm saying? I think you should think highly of yourself, especially if you've accomplished yeah. enough to, you know, stand in that stead and be effective in it. So I ain't messed up about nobody feeling like they have the potential or the capacity to run and to win and to do well. My issue is if you don't have the insight or the foresight to see how unlikely it is that you're going to do any of those things if the black vote is split, then I think you signifying something that uh, should sound the alarm in our communities. Definitely. Now, early voting just ended. I know you're privy to what some of those numbers look Mm -hmm. like. What did that entail as far as the numbers? Well, first, I think it's fair to say most midterm elections in terms of Federal elections have lower turnout turnout. uh, in comparison to like the presidential elections. (laughs) Presidential elections are the elections that get the most turnout. They're the most high profile. Midterm elections, people are usually in the lull of some sort. And not to mention, for those of us in Memphis and Shelby County, this election on November 8th will be the third election of the year Mm. for people in Memphis and Shelby County. Because we had the Shelby County primary elections in the spring. We had the Shelby County general election and the state and federal primary elections in August. And now we have the state and federal general election. Okay. In comparison to where we were in 2018, and it's a lot that people need to pay attention to because 2016, as we talked about earlier, was the year that Trump got elected. And so there was a big groundswell of resentment and people who felt like they missed out and messed up because they sat the 2016 election out. And regretfully, people seem to be more motivated to to vote against people nowadays than they are to vote for people. So 2018, you know, there was some record-setting turnout in the state of Tennessee and Memphis and Shelby County, not to mention there was a personality that had the potential of making history in the state. And that was when Marquita Bradshaw was, she did this major upset in the state and federal primary because she was running for the U.S. Senate. And so she ended up winning That would have made her the first African-American woman to be elected to the United States Senate from Tennessee. Mm -hmm. So I think people were motivated to turn out in 2018 for her and then the Trump factor, if you will. So turnout was high. There was no incumbent in the governor's seat. Mm -hmm. And so people were motivated and ended up turning out for Bill Lee, who was the government governor, now the Republican governor. Mm -hmm. So you don't have those same factors this year. Okay. so. In Shelby County, although Shelby County at last count was the top county in the state for turnout, mm-hmm. turnout is still overall low. So in Shelby County, we are about 60,000 votes less mm. in 2022 than we were in 2018, but we're about 45,000 votes more than we were in 2014. Gotcha. So, gotcha. you know, definitely not nothing to try to run a victory lap about. Uh, and we don't know what election day is going to do because you got to think too, man, you know, between 2018, 2020, pandemic yeah all kind of voter laws have changed and shifted and you know they love to suppress black votes so i'm pretty sure that that has something to do with it so you got all of those factors and it's hard to tell exactly right now i i I don't mind recommending this brother for people to follow white brother so for those who say i don't rock with white folks bill drees of the daily memphian Mm -hmm. Uh, he he is the person who I name a lot. he's the person who I dialogue with about the numbers and trying to do analysis. I think Otis Sanford, um, who is with ABC Twenty Four, you know, black journalist, he definitely has some insights and, and some analysis. I think his stuff tends to lean a little bit in a, in a direction that doesn't necessarily represent the same people who I try to represent. You know, Negroes in these you know poor black communities who end up being disenfranchised. He's much more of like an establishment Democrat, if you will. But I think both of them can be helpful in trying to get us to interpret some of what's going on. Wow. So November 8th is the day. Election day. Yep. Election day. What What is some of the most interesting things on the ballot? Because you and Denise already voted. What yeah. is most interesting and what people really need to tune into on this ballot? Probably these amendments. You know, state constitutional amendments are hard to come by and they only pass if they get like two-thirds of the voters, I understand. In the, like you can't even get it on the ballot unless people within the legislature, two-thirds of them have to agree that this should even be put on the ballot. It's not that, um, you know, when it's on the ballot, 66% of the people have to vote for it. Like, it's it's a straight majority, as I understand it then. But to get it on the ballot is a heavy lift, especially with us being in what I call, you know, a white nationalist political legislature. So, you know, the the people 
in Nashville, by and large, with the exception of some of the representatives from, you know, Memphis and Shelby County or Nashville and Davidson County or Knoxville and Knox County, you know, most of them are people who would be identified as Trumpites of the highest order, you know, uh, campaign uh, election deniers, you know, all of these things. So, and these are the people who are setting public policy for the state. Exactly. And, and these are people who are unapologetic about giving Memphis and Shelby County the short end of the stick. Um, but there are four amendments on the ballot, you know, the more identifiable ones, you know, number one is about, um, basically if somebody has to identify, it, it's an attack against labor organizations. Uh, it's an attack against unions, but it's worded as if it's supportive of workers and it's not. It's not. No. Nah, so we tell people vote no on amendment one and yes on the rest of them. The other two that are probably more notable, one more notable than the other amendment three is about whether or not we're going to officially abolish slavery why, and remove it. How and why <laughs> yeah. is that on this election? Yeah, you know. How did that come up? Well, part of the reason I think these things linger is because it's hard to keep our people actively engaged and informed on some of the particulars. And, 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 if, and if there's a theme that I think is emerging in our conversation today, it's about how much details and technical expertise matters. You know, um, higher learning, if you will, you know, folks need to know some of this stuff. And it's difficult for some of us to get a grasp on it. It's not always easy to comprehend. It's not always readily accessible, especially with people who do things in their everyday lives, like work and raise kids and, you know, so on and so forth. But, you know, these are things that kind of sort of fly under the radar because they haven't really been enforced. Okay. And so you think everything is good. And it's based upon how people who are in judicial offices interpret this constitutional language. So if you got people who are favorable in terms of their interpretation, this is what's been happening at the Supreme Court level, right? Roe v. Wade, you know, affirmative action. What happened in times past was you had enough Supreme Court justices that interpreted those things in a way that's favorable for black folk. You don't have that anymore. No. Because when you sat out in 2016 or when you said stuff like Hillary and Trump are two sides of the same coin or my vote don't matter and Trump got in. He got his people in. He was able to appoint people to the Supreme Court Mm -hmm. that interpret that stuff differently. It's not much different in Tennessee. It's the state constitution the same way it would be Supreme Court at the federal level. There's a Supreme Court in Tennessee. Mm -hmm. And if you got a bunch of judges who end up in office that interpret these same things less favorably. If it's still on the Constitution, then you might be in trouble. But since people have been favorably interpreting these things and not trying to explicitly enslave us again, you know, it's like, hey, let's hurry up and get this off. How does it read on the ballot? I don't want to misquote it, um, but it's basically like, hey, let's let's officially remove enslavement from the constitution, the the possibility of anybody being enslaved, right? Let's make sure that it's clear that the state does not endorse uh, enslavement. And I would say does not endorse enslavement insofar as chattel slavery was concerned prior to the civil war. And the reason I make that, that I'm telling you these technical terms matter. If you don't, if, if, if you don't make that technical turn, you would have to explain how, Tennessee has a con the state has a contract with the largest for profit prison industry in the world. It used to be called core civic. Now it's called something else, but it's still the same thing. And so now we got private prisons all over the state of Tennessee with investors. Oh, definitely. And the state has a contract with them, which is to say the state pays them. And if the, uh, count is not at a certain level if there are not enough people occupying these prisons the state has to pay this corporation some money so now you have a process where it is economically beneficial for black folks to be enslaved and i'm saying enslaved in terms of incarcerated having your rights and privileges stripped away from you so on and so forth so it's not that you know we don't have enslavement we have what um one scholar called slavery by another name you know, this is Michelle Alexander's book, The New Jim Crow, and, you know, others who are talking about these things. But this is an opportunity for us to vote no on that amendment so that we can make sure that um, that is removed from um, the, the Constitution, the state constitution. I think that's wild. I, I actually used to work for a company where 
I was in procurement and we actually visited a prison to to figure out if if they were going to do our labor mm-hmm. for our manufacturing. Mm-hmm. And I was the only woman on the trip, but it was crazy to I'm looking at my plant manager like we really going to do this. I don't think we should do this. <laughs> But about it's the bottom amazing line. how many corporations yeah. are invested as well. Yeah, yeah. And, and I mean the entire system and structure being put together in a way that it continues to exploit black labor, uh, whether it is explicitly through, you know, labor laws and practices like living wages. So the state of Tennessee does not have a living wage, mm-hmm. which makes it fall back on the federal minimum wage, which is like seven twenty five an hour. Do you know anybody? Making that. No. Or who can live no. making that right? No. Um, but but that's you know just another technical thing. Um, there there are other ways that we are constantly exploited. Our labor is exploited for um, corporate gain. But you know if we don't take the time to dig into these details and learn some of these nuances, we ultimately end up relying. And I got people who do this all the time. You know it, they know that I spend a lot of my time trying to educate and empower folks on this stuff, and they won't show up to a voter empowerment symposium. You know they won't show up to up to vote meeting or nothing. You know they might watch something online, but then when the election come, they basically like, hey, Pastor Earl, who I vote for? And then they even say, now nah, I know you don't like to do this like this, but just tell me. Wow. You know, and so sick of it. Yeah, yeah, but I understand. You know, it's a complicated, uh, it's a complicated uh, environment. And so, so these folks need to get out and vote on November eighth. Yeah, absolutely. That you know, and not just November eighth. You know, but every time, every time, and, and stay engaged as much as possible, or at least stay connected to groups like Up the Vote Nine on One, so you can get access to the information you need. Definitely. Well, Pastor Earl, we're going to take a quick break and Mm -hmm. we're going to come back and get into some pop culture news because I'm very interested to understand and hear your take on quite a few people that have been out in the media. In other words, you want gossip. Hey, we ain't going to call it (laughs) that. Because I know you have your own perception on things from a different standpoint. Sure, sure. And I definitely want to hear it. But uh, we're going to take this break real quick. Be sure to hit that subscribe button. Hit like, hit share for the Verbal Effective Podcast. We'll be right back. All right, guys, welcome back to the Verbally Effective Podcast. I got my good friend, Reverend Earl Fisher. We're in here. PhD. Put Senior some respect pastor. on my name. You understand Senior me? pastor over there at Ava City in the blackest church in Memphis and yeah. the founder of Up the Vote 901. Earl, we're going to jump right into it because your boy, Kanye West, has been making a splash, honey. Your boy. Mm. Uh, well, I would say, oh, yeah, may yeah. have been your boy. Who uh, uh, Black Thought called pre-Kardashian Kanye. Pre-Kardashian. Yeah. I saw that on your sermon. You yeah. had referenced him as pre-Kardashian <laughs> That's what Kanye. Black Thought said in his uh, freestyle on <laughs> Funk Master Flex that went viral several years ago. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Kanye has gone through a lot lately. Um mm-hmm. You know, I don't know if we could even consider him canceled at this point because I feel like a lot of people are really wanting Kanye to be heard right now. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they're not totally canceling him out. Mm-hmm. Yay has made some, they're saying, anti-Semitic comments out in the media. Mm-hmm. Um, he's gone on the Drink Champs. I watched the interview, watched what Kanye said about the Jews. Uh, Kanye really feels like, you know, the Jews really run the media. Okay. You have to understand who's making the power decision, the power plays out here. Mm-hmm. And Kanye has lost a lot recently. Um, his partnership with Adidas. Adidas, Balenciaga, Balenciaga J.P. Morgan Chase. Pretty much everything. Yeah. They won't let the man bank with him no more. Um, I don't know what Kanye is doing today, but what are your mm-hmm. thoughts on Kanye West as of today and and what he's been preaching about lately? <laughs> is there any truth to about? what he's saying? Uh, well, first, let me say, you know, I said this in the sermon, too, so I appreciate you listening to it. But I don't really spend a lot of my time trying to commentate on um, celebrity culture. I think in a lot of ways, celebrity culture is killing us. And I think what's happening with Kanye, what's happening with Kyrie, you know, is really showing us more about what's going on with us than it is what's going on with them. Is there some truth to what he says or some truth to what Kyrie says? I mean, a broken clock can be right. You know what I'm saying? So I think that there is some truth in some aspects of some of what they have said. I just don't think that that's the bigger or the broadest point. Whether or not it's true is important only insofar as we're able to understand some of the technical 
and particular terms and ideologies that we are dealing with. So what's at stake for me was what I take issue with is this idea that somebody can independently and casually uh, gloss across a couple of books or materials or YouTube videos on a particular issue and then somehow be perceived as a super Negro with all of this expertise and this insight that the masses should follow. <laughs> and, and one of the things I've asked in times past is, so show me the, the inverse of this. Show me the white person that is an entertainer with no political science background, no uh, degree or research based in anthropology or sociology or, you know, some of these technical social sciences that white folks are leaning into in droves. Like, Taylor Swift, tell us who we should, you know, so-and-so and so It's so not on. happening. It don't happen. So then the question is, why why, why are we even leaning into the quote-unquote insights of Ye or Kyrie insofar as these matters are concerned? Mm-hmm. You know, if anything, they should be pointing us to people who have that level of expertise. You know, I can come up in here and try to work this board, right? Mm-hmm. And people who are unfamiliar with some of the technical things in the board be like, oh, man, he he running that he running that studio. You know what I'm saying? He, he turning the knobs and the dials and he got all of the lights and stuff flashing. But for those of you who know, you're going to be like, nah, that equilibrium is off. Right. That's you know, not what he do. Right. Or, or it's just going to be some technical stuff. Mm-hmm. So it would be best for me to say, hey, I think this board is interesting. You know what y'all should do? Y'all should talk to Ina Esco. That's the person who you should lean on. I'm taking some of my cues from her. But we think just because somebody has a gift or a skill or a level of expertise in one area, and after they have been cultivated in a space that tends to have white corporations and institutions overseeing them, and then they make a lot of money in partnership with them, whether it's the Brooklyn Nets with Kyrie or Nike with Kyrie, or whether it's the aforementioned organizations and corporations with Kanye. Now, all of a sudden, if they say something to piss them folk off, we want to dive into some technical truths. Well, let's just make sure we fully equipped to have that conversation. And I think most of us are not. And the reason we want to have a conversation is because pathologically, we want to be them celebrities. We think, as I said in the sermon, that money will cover the multitude of ignorance arrogance and intellectual laziness that's not the case and i think we see some of that exposed somebody said as i repeated it a million times because it is hilarious to me (laughs) and i think it's true of kanye and Kyrie in a sense and you know nobody advocates for black folk and black consciousness more than me that's true so you know i ain't i ain't saying we should cancel them or throw them under the bus Mm -hmm. we should deal with the particulars of the claims that they have made And we should analyze that based upon what we know to be social, political, religious and historical realities. And some of which we could talk about, you know, what I'm saying like I am a unapologetic black pastor, Christian liberationist. Okay, Um, I know that the book of the Bible, Genesis and Exodus are not talking about white people. I know that I, I, I know the difference between ancient African history and geography and some of the modern geopolitical terms like the Middle East. It's a term you'll never find in the Bible, right? But that ain't no shade to any ethnic group. I know Hebrews, you know, that start in, in, in scripture, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, right? Hebrews that end up mixed into uh, uh, Egyptians and all of this other stuff. I know about Northeast Africa, but I also know that studies show the vast majority of North American, uh, uh, the vast majority of black folks who end up in North America didn't come from East Africa. We came from West Africa. We didn't come from Egypt or Ethiopia. And that ain't no shade to Nubia or, or Kemet, right? The more ancient names of these locations, but it's just about science mattering and these technical details matter. And I subscribe to that religious tradition insofar as it helps me advance the liberation of my people. But that don't mean I got to say I'm Jewish. Okay. And if we know scientifically all human beings come from Africa. In a sense, you could say Africa is the origin of everything. So then you could say everybody's African. <laughs> but no, when you start talking about ethnicity, you're talking about some real particular things. You are. This is what this one person said about Kyrie, and, and, and I say it, it applies to Kanye too. He said, it sounds like they are freshman philosophy majors answering questions when they did not do the reading. Mm. That's what it sounds like. So, so the people who don't know, 
It sounds deep. Oh, man. It, it, but the people who know, the people who have done the reading, it's like, nah, that ain't bright. And in a lot of ways, it's inaccurate. So they need to be quiet. I'm not saying that. I think they need to be a little bit more honest about the limitations of their knowledge. Okay. And I think it would help if they were a little bit more um, discerning, you know, if, if, if they were a little bit more, um, I won't say deflecting, but, but, but if they would, instead of trying to embrace and take up all of that space, like now you some, you know, um, scholar, you some black scholar now, pass it off to some of those who are, you know, Mark Lamont Hill, for those who don't know, was in a big riff with, you know, Semitism, anti-Semitism, Israel, Palestine, yeah. all of that stuff, right? Like, like that's a, he got books out on, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Well-studied, documented research it. stuff. Pass it to him or consult with him. And then maybe we as a community and as culture have to stop, stop saying just because somebody has a large following or a platform that somehow that means they have a specific type of intellectual insight on specific and technical issues. And we should take our cues from them. I think that's a dangerous thing to do. Right. And you mentioned Kyrie Irving. Um, let's just talk about him for a minute. Uh, Brooklyn Nets player. I saw he recently lost his partnership with Nike. Mm-hmm. Um, with with the new Kyrie's they probably had in production. Mm-hmm. What makes a man want to risk it all to to make these statements and comments? Because it really feels like Kyrie is me being made an example of. But look at it. He works. He works for the NBA. <laughs> yeah, bro. So it's not like you're an entrepreneur in the NBA. You right. know what I'm saying? You right. work for this machine, uh-huh. and they can do what they want to do. Well, in a sense, I mean, every organization because of you know, the federal government has some rules and regulations they have to follow. So it's not that they just get to do what they want to do. But I think it's also important for us to realize we, black folks, if we organized ourselves and built independent institutions and organizations, we would have a lot more leverage for those outside of our ethnic group who do something demeaning or derogatory towards our ethnic group. Right now, we don't tend to have that same leverage I mean, we could build some social media momentum and maybe get people, you know, canceled, which is a technical term we might want to reconsider. You know what I'm saying? Because are you really canceling somebody, you know, especially if they independent? But I I mean, I get it. You know, I'm not I'm not objecting to the term. I'm talking again about these nuances, Mm -hmm. these details that matter, these differences that make a difference. Mm -hmm. So I cannot fault other ethnic groups who have been able to organize themselves in ways that if someone outside of their ethnic group does something that they consider consider to be derogatory, demeaning, or disrespectful, then they respond. Specifically the Jews. Yeah, well, but I don't think it's just the Jews, right? I think if you go to China and you do something in ways that offend Chinese people. Oh, they're going to stick together. If you go to India and you find, matter of fact, go to Ghana, okay? Go, go go to uh, South Africa, go go to Liberia or Sierra Leone, you know, go, go to Nigeria, go to Cameroon, go, go to Equatorial Guinea, go to Senegal, but go to Morocco. Go, but if you go to the United States and and look at, at our yeah. culture, we not going. Well, number one, black folks make up 13 percent of the population in the country. Mm-hmm. And some would argue that that's declining. And you have to go back to how we ended up in the country in the first place. I'm not blaming black folks for not having the same level of organizational and institutional power. I'm not blaming us for that. That's structural. That's systemic. That's a byproduct of the way that the country was organized and the way that the country has been run. So when they make claims like, hey, I can say something that's anti-black and not be treated the same way as if I say something that's anti-Semitic or anti-Jewish. And there's some value in that statement. Mm -hmm. It's also important to know something about the particulars. Because if somebody who is not black says something Mm anti-black publicly, we have seen recently. Will they be canceled? In some instances, they have been. Donald Sterling is no longer the owner of the L.A. Clippers Mm -hmm. because he was saying nigger. Yeah. Right? Um, There are other instances where these types of things have happened. I'm not saying that there's equity by any stretch. I'm saying that these details matter. Yeah. So you asked if there was some truth to what they said. I'm trying to give you what they said that I believe is true, but the context matters. And so if you change geographical location, if you change racial demographics, 
then those things matter too insofar as how people respond when certain things happen. And most people give some pass to people within an ethnic group. Oh, it's not much different than gender in this regard. Mm-hmm. A sister could call another sister a bitch, mm-hmm. right, in some instance, not in every instance. That ain't going to be uh, leveled. That ain't going to be responded to the same way that if a brother calls a sister that. Sure. You see what I'm saying? Because words don't have meaning without context. And so I'm talking about how important these contexts, um, the, the context is. And, and the context is part of what gives rise to the responses that we get. But the point that I feel like you made that is very valuable that we have to consider is these are institutions and organizations that, that, that amount to what Claude Alexander calls black labor and white wealth. Mm. So if it is your labor that is causing them to be so wealthy, you got to understand. No, you don't have to understand. You can comprehend when they make these moves trying to protect what they believe to be their wealth. Yeah, and that's what we're yeah. saying right now. Yeah. Now, you know, on the other hand, you can say, you know, all of the black athletes, all of the black entertainers, withdraw from um, your uh, deal with Universal. That would never happen. <laughs> or, 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 you know, everybody get out of the NBA and go play in Ice Cubes League or something like that. I think we should be mature enough to discuss exactly what it would take to make that happen Mm -hmm. and the process and the repercussions and the sacrifices. We don't live in a culture full of sacrifice right now. People ain't trying to sacrifice nothing. People want, and this is going back to what I'm saying about celebrity culture and us wanting to be celebrities because we think that that gives us some fast track to health, wealth, and wisdom. It doesn't. And that's a dangerous thing. You know what I'm saying? So I, I remember doing some um, doing one of them reels on, on Instagram because it had been on my heart for a long time. And I was like, what would you do if there were no celebrities in the world? You know, what, what if you'll never go viral? What if you'll never make a hundred million dollars? What if you'll never make a million? What, what if your lot in life is about you making a decent, honest, reasonable living doing something that you feel passionate and called to do? And I think if we thought more about that, we might not be so quick to demonize or uh, deify these celebrities as if they are anything more than human beings who end up in a particular position or platform that often gives them access to a lot of economic resources, regardless of their intellectual capacity. Yeah. And you know what? This kind of parallels how we started the podcast with you talking about, you know, you're not into the personality of a politician. Mm-hmm. You're into the works that they do. It's, it's mm-hmm. all parallel yeah. in this conversation. And I can appreciate the artistry of Kanye musically. I can damn sure, you know, I'm a I'm basketball, you know, that's mm-hmm. my thing. I could, I could damn sure appreciate the artistry of Kyrie on the basketball court. That does not mean that I feel like I need to listen to them on issues where I should be listening to people who have a lot more technical expertise. Gotcha. Just like I'm not going to listen to people who are uh, armchair commentators and, and sideline reporters on matters of uh, basketball analysis. <laughs> what you say armchair commentators? Yeah, man, like you niggas ain't played nothing <laughs> at no level for real. Right. You know, you, you watch pickup games in the park. The internet has sprung up these personalities, Pastor Earl. Yeah, but training still matters, sis, Ina. I know. Education still matters. Black consciousness still matters. And these things don't fall out of the sky. Right. And and it ain't contingent upon how many followers you have on social media. That don't make nobody smart. True. And it don't make nobody a good person. That's right. A lot of these folks are assholes, man. You know what I'm saying? And sometimes you see that stuff come out at the most inopportune time. Mm -hmm. But so because so many of us just desire that privilege more than we desire our purpose. Most of us want them resources. Most of us want them, them, them perks, you know what I'm saying? And that makes us compromise so much on the road to get it. Not realizing if you compromise to get it, you got to compromise to keep it. Mm. I hear you. And I so, and you. so now look, look, there, there are parts of me that seeks to protect black folks from this onslaught of anti-black white supremacist, cancer culture, and all of the other, you know, ills and isms of our society. And then there's a part of me that recognizes basic elements in the human condition, basic developments in sociology, 
anthropology, political science, theology and religion. You know, I could talk about some, yo, like y'all ain't, y'all are talking about religious stuff and y'all don't have the insight. Right. You know, you don't, you don't, you don't have the knowledge. But they feel that since they have the following, they can go on these platforms and spew whatever. Yeah. And then it's supposed to be perceived as gospel. That's just some dangerous stuff. You know what That's I'm saying? Crazy. I, yeah. Niggas but, need to do, niggas need to do better. Do better. And nigga adjacent folks need to do better too. <laughs> nigga adjacent folks. Well, Pastor Earl, do you have any advice for people that are listening to the podcast that may, you know, need some direction on finding their purpose? What are the top three things people can do to find their purpose? I don't know if I got the top three things, but I'm going to put my sister on blast right here. Because every quarter or every, <laughs> you know, two or three times a year, she, she, she passed the Earl. I got this idea. I want you to do this faith thing. <laughs> you know, you see, you see. <laughs> oh my she, God. She, she come up with this grand Kanye style idea, right? You know, 15 minutes every week, blah, 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 blah. Right. So, so, so. <laughs> Y'all see how he do, man. I'm this, listening. This is our love. This is my sorrow. This is my sister. I this is how I can say this, right? And she, you know, I, these are black facts, okay? These are black facts, right? So I don't know if it, and here's one of the things I, I guess I would say. I don't know if some of this stuff can be broken down into a simple three-step process. Some of this stuff requires what one writer calls a long obedience in the same direction. It, it, it's a commitment to lifelong learning. It's a commitment to being an honest and authentic relationship and accountability to organizations, institutions, and individuals who you know have black folks' best interests at heart. Mm -hmm. So, so you know, in in some matters, spiritual, religious, whatever, you can hit me up like, "Hey, I've been thinking about this," or "Hey, would you pray for me?" or such, you know. And and so we have a relationship in that regard. Now, now you. I don't know if you would call yourself a technical member of Abyssinian or, or not, you know. Um, we, we can discuss that, you know, or any of y'all when like that. When I go that. to church, I'm going to come over there. You, you see what I'm saying? I have visited. Right, that, right that's true. Am you I know, a member? Am I a member? It's, it's hard to tell because membership in, in, in this phase, you know, post-COVID and stuff with virtual this and, you know, you know, uh, um, um, cyber that, it's hard to tell. But what we do know is we got a brother and sister relationship that is authentic enough that is responsible enough where if there are some issues related to religion or spirituality, you know, you can hit me up. You know, that Abyssinian is an organization or institution that got black folks best interests at heart. And you can make a commitment today. Be like, you know what? That's the one I'm going to connect to. Right. Anybody could do that. I hope that everybody would do that. And I also understand that there are a lot of black institutions and organizations that frankly just don't have black folks best interests at heart. So I understand some of the skepticism and the anxieties around that. So I don't have a three-step, you know, what I would say is, you know, be honest with yourself about where you are, about what you've been through, and, you know, sit with yourself long enough to realize what it is you desire. Mm -hmm. And then try to connect with institutions, organizations, and individuals that you know align with that. But also, be humble enough to know. My mama said this to me, you know, many years ago, and I've repeated it ad nauseum. She said, there's always enough out there that you don't know to make a whole new world. Okay. And so there are things that I know and I think I know a lot about. You know, I, And I might know a whole lot about one thing and I might know a little bit about a whole lot of things. Mm-hmm. But I don't ever think I know everything about anything. Mm-hmm. And so when I'm talking, I'm talking from an informed perspective about the stuff I know a lot about. The stuff I don't know a lot about, I'm humble enough to be like, I don't know, sis. Tell me how to work this. But what's this? What, what's this button right here? Mm-hmm. You know, I ain't got a stunt. I don't feel like I have to put on in ways that make folks think I know more than what I know. Mm-hmm. So, so I would, I would hope everybody would assume that posture and platform, regardless of whether or not you go viral, have some humility. Yeah. You got to have some, now I ain't saying the type of humility that makes you let people walk over you mm-hmm. or, or shrink down from your blackness. Now I ain't talking about that. Mm-hmm. You know, I am talking about the type of authenticity that's, that's grounded in a deep reflection on who I am and how I am and who my people are. You know, that gives me a certain level of pride, but not arrogance. It gives me a certain level of confidence, but not cockiness. I feel you. I feel you, Pastor Earl. Um, let's get into, because we, we, we are pressed for time right now, right. but I do want to ask you, 
you know, with your time being here in Memphis, how many years have you been in Memphis now? So if this is 22, I've been in here 23 years. I got in 99, August of 99. 23 so, yeah, years. 23 years. Sis. So how have you seen the climate of Memphis change? I know when you got here in 99, you know, even then poverty was still mm-hmm. at the top of the list in Memphis. Um, what have you seen change in a major way since your time here in Memphis? Man, that's tough, sis, because you got to think, I got here, man, I was, you know, 20 years old. Young thing. <laughs> and, and, and I was trying to, you know, still trying to find my way. Mm-hmm. And there are certain things that I just was not conscious of. So I, I wouldn't have paid as close attention to it like I have been in the last 15 years, you know. So yeah. the first few years was just kind of sort of getting my feet waiting, getting acclimated to, to Memphis and finding some of the parallels between where I grew up and where I was living. You know, I think that there have been some consistencies in terms of like good culture and music and food and camaraderie. You know, I hear a lot of people bashing Memphis and I think they might want to reconsider moving somewhere, mm. you know, because I don't think it's hard to find the fantastic stuff happening in Memphis. Right. I don't think it's hard to find at all. You know, uh, they could just listen to your show and, and the hundreds of people who you've interviewed and follow everybody who's talking about all of the things that they're doing and, and, and see how wonderful Memphis is. I think that. Nationally, we've been dealing with a rise in racial tension and hate crimes and things of that nature. Numbers bear that out. Memphis is no exception, so crime has been on the rise. You talked about poverty, and I know that Memphis has been a city that has had a poverty issue for as far back as I have been able to read or research. But I think it's been more accented and highlighted and pronounced in the last few years because of some of the insights that people are offering as it relates to social development and community organizing and entrepreneurship and economic development and things of that nature. So, you know, I do still believe that Memphis is full of all kind of hope and promise. And I think it's still one of the best places in the world to live and to work and to raise your family and all of that. I just want to see it reach its full potential. Yes. What is it going to take for that? I think it's going to take more of us, you know, being um, educated and informed and engaged and empowered and inspired and uh, willing to sacrifice maybe some short term, um, some short term convenience for for some long term uh, stability. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think it'll take a, a, a better investment in our young people, insofar as you know, school systems are concerned. And I think black consciousness curriculum. I'm thinking about a program we're working on with one of our neighborhood schools to try to see if black consciousness curriculum as like a extracurricular program Mm -hmm. can help uh, some of the at risk or high risk students stay engaged in like middle school and stuff like that. And maybe, maybe put them on a better road for educational attainment. We'll see, you know what I'm saying? It's still in the incubation phase right now, but I think those things and above all, man, the political empowerment so that we can get the resources equitably distributed Mm -hmm. in the communities that we need them in right now. Cause if black folks are always double taxed, having to, work several jobs just to make ends meet. And then we supposed to also have enough expendable income to invest in these black institutions and organizations, then, you know, it's going to be such a burden on black folks while those who are in positions of privilege and prosperity get to leverage, you know, uh, pilot programs, payments in lieu of taxes or other tax subsidies and governmental funds that support their organizations and institutions. You know, I think it's going to be more and more difficult for us to reach the potential that we need. But, you know, it it just takes some courage, some commitment, some creativity, some conviction, and some compassion. All right. Well, I appreciate you for coming on the Verbally Effective Podcast. This is part two. Uh, We met in 2018 at the top of the pod. I'll be back. Give me me about three more weeks, man. You know what I'm saying? I'll be back. So much has changed since 2018 to now we're in 2022. Any final words you want to give to the Verbally Effective audience? Hey, Um, uh, First to you, first to you again, you know, salute to you. I remember our early conversation. We were just thinking about launching this stuff when you were leaving from some of them other uh, media outlets, you know, and uh, Pastor Earl, I think I'm going to be, sis, I'm praying with you. I'm supporting you. And I'm glad to see it evolve. I know I said that at the beginning of the podcast. I'm going to say it again, you know, so for you, for your family, for your community, folks back in Beaumont, you know what I'm saying? Uh, Folk in, uh, uh, you went to Millington High School. Millington, You know what I'm saying? All all of those things that God used to kind of undergird you as you get into this point, I'm glad to see it continue to take off. And uh, glad to be in partnership with you. Glad to be your brother in the struggle. Thank you for having me again. 
Yes, sir. Um, anything you want to say about the election on the 8th? This hey. will air on that Monday. I think the last election yeah. day, Tuesday. Yeah, so look, um, we can't afford to sit it out. Um, we got to do what we can. If you need some information, reach out to upthevote901 at gmail.com or go to upthevote901.com, upthevote901 on Facebook, at upthevote901 on Instagram. Hit us up. If you got some inquiries, need some information, we'll do the best we can. Polls are going to open at 7, and they're going to close at 7. So 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. This is not early voting, so you cannot just go to your nearest precinct. You have to go to the one that you have been assigned to. If you're in Memphis and Shelby County, go to the Shelby County Election Commission website or I think you can go to govotetn.gov and you can put in the information so you can find what your exact polling location is. We don't want you to waste any time. The schools have actually uh, said that uh, I don't think um, they're having classes on, on Tuesday. On Tuesday? Yeah, they were reporting that on some of the news outlets today That's to give parents an opportunity to make sure that they go cast their vote. So let's make sure we do that. Up to vote 901. Yes, and give everybody your handle on how they can continue to follow your journey. So the Blackest Church in Memphis and Shelby County is on <laughs> Facebook, Abyssinian Baptist Church, Abyssinian Missionary Baptist Church on Facebook. Uh, ABC Ministries is the number one on Instagram. Uh, Abyssinian Baptist Church Memphis on YouTube. All of my sermons just about are on our Facebook page or on our YouTube channel. As you would say, what y'all say on the YouTube stuff? Uh, subscribe, like, and share. What like and share. You got it right. Yeah, subscribe, so do, like, and share. Do all of that. Uh, personally, Earl J. Fisher <laughs> on Facebook, at Pastor underscore Earl on Instagram, at Pastor underscore Earl, that's E-A-R-L-E, on Twitter. And um, Tupac said it. I say this often in my interviews when I'm signing off. Although I'm worldwide, baby, I ain't hard to find. He is not hard to find. Oh, you know what y'all can do if y'all want to connect with Abyssinian right now? Matter of fact, take your phone up. Okay. I want you to text Liberation. Liberation. Yep. To 71441. Let's do that I, want, I want y'all to do that too. Text Liberation to 71441. And that'll put y'all in our mobile service. 71441. 71441. Yep. 71441. That's the way to connect with us. That's as my niece uh, KK would say. Easy peasy. <laughs> easy peasy. Yeah, easy peasy. Boom, gotcha. Liberation to 71441. Yeah. Pastor Earl, thank you so much for joining me yet again. Anytime, the sis. the podcast. I'm extremely proud of you. You are out here making a difference in Memphis. Right. You know that, it. right? Appreciate it, appreciate it. We come from good places, you know, Lemoyne and mm-hmm. uh, black folks in Ben Harbor and Beaumont, you know what I'm saying? Yes, we, we're trying we to make our ancestors proud, you understand me? <laughs> definitely, definitely. Make sure you guys follow Reverend Earl Fisher on all of his platforms. Uh, Check out Abyssinian Missionary Church. Also, get in tune to Up the Vote 901. It is extremely important right now. Y'all can donate to Up the Vote 901 right now. Cash app. Cash dollar sign, Up the Vote 901. If you want to donate to Abyssinian, dollar sign, ABC Ministries, the number one. You know, those those donations, your, your $10, your $25, your $100, your $1,000. Man, I'm telling you what the work that we're trying to do because we're getting it out the mud. You Y'all getting me? it out the mud, grass, roots on that thing, that baby. Part, that way. <laughs> Make sure you support my brother, Earl Fisher. And, hey, subscribe, like, share the podcast on all streaming platforms, YouTube, um, Apple, Music, uh, Amazon, wherever you get your pods, we are there. Verbally Effective Podcast with Ina Esco. Thank you guys once again.